Welcome to Surreal Politics for this October 16, 2023, being a current year. Today, this is uh, Stage 1, Episode 30. Gag me, Daddy. Donald Trump was hit today with a gag order in his federal case pertaining to his effort to see the will of the voter upheld in 2020. The gag order will bar Trump and others from, quote, making any public statements targeting special counsel Jack Smith and his staff, as well as court personnel, according to the Associated Press. A written ruling had not been issued at the time of this writing, but it is expected soon. Perhaps it has already been written by the time you hear this. The judge issued the order orally at a hearing during which Trump himself was not present. This order is more sweeping than the gag order imposed on him in his New York fraud trial, which, of course, I mean both in the sense that it is a fraud and that is what he is accused of, wherein he is barred from targeting the staff of the judge in that case. Here, the president is barred from targeting, whatever that means, the maniac prosecutor who is an attack dog for his political opponent. Smith sought a more expansive order which would prohibit, quote, disparaging and inflammatory or intimidating statements about any party witness, attorney, court personnel, or potential jurors. This was done under the claim that Trump's social media posts were, quote, intended to undermine confidence in the criminal justice system and prejudice the jury pool through disparaging and inflammatory attacks. You know, unlike what Jack Smith does all the time. Of course, undermining faith in the criminal justice system is not exactly a heavy lift these days, and all the less so for Trump. If these people were so concerned about their credibility, perhaps they should be more cautious about their lies. Undermining faith in the court system is evidently the purpose of people like Mr. Smith and Roberta Kaplan, who are at base anarchists trying to wreck civilization entirely and who are only using the levers of state power to do so because they are personally weak and lack the physical strength to do it with their own hands. The order presents an interesting opportunity for Trump if he cares to gamble. There's a reasonable expectation that he will appeal the order and a decidedly non-zero chance that he will prevail at least in some part. If Trump continues to criticize Jack Smith, Smith will move the court to sanction Trump in some way, and the, tr- and the court will be rather limited in its enforcement options. They can fine Trump, but he's spending your money anyway, and Trump can just refuse to pay, counting on an appellate victory. They cannot impose inv- adverse inferences because this is a criminal case and not a civil one. Are they going to lock him up? Are they going to put him in a communications management unit if they do? Of course, you can put nothing past these people, but this would be quite the escalation of the conflict. He could call their bluff, and while the outcome of this would be anything but certain, it would certainly serve to undermine credibility in Smith and in the court. It would also place extreme pressure on the Supreme Court to vacate the order. The Supreme Court can refuse to take a case, but good luck doing that if a former president is sitting in a jail cell. Roberts was reported to have echoed concerns that, quote, there will be riots when deliberating the Dobbs v. Jackson women's health case overturning Roe v. Wade. He is conscious of the potential for public backlash and its impact on his rulings. It is not seriously in dispute whether the case is politically motivated, and the court can expect to hear an appeal of his conviction and sentence when the case is over. If they mean to uphold that conviction, they'll be inclined to bargain on the gag order so as to appear they are not out to get the man who appointed them. Trump is in no danger of losing the Republican primary. It is too late for a dark horse. He has teams of people handling his affairs 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. And if he has to sit in solitary for two weeks, all that needs doing will still get done. Republicans insufficiently loyal will make fools of themselves during the time he is locked away. His opponents will be seen celebrating his incarceration and making themselves look like monsters. And in short order, he will be released. He will claim victory. He will be lauded by his supporters. He will continue to attack Jack Smith, and there will be nothing that anybody can do about it. He'll still be looking at prison when all is said and done, but at this point, Trump cannot choose to be safe. Only powerful. 217-688-1433. You like to be on the program, and the more you talk, the less I have to. So please do give us a call, ladies and gentlemen. Let me go take a look check in on our streams here so please do give us a call so anyway let's go over here janet yellen says that america can certainly afford to support israel and ukraine as in 
finance their wars. That's a great idea. Uh, In an exclusive interview, Janet Yellen urges Republicans to appoint a new House of Representatives speaker to enable greater financial support to be both agreed uh, to be agreed for both Israel and Ukraine. You know, because basically, Republicans, that's the reason that you have a speaker of the House so that you can fund foreign wars for Janet Yellen's people. You know what I mean? That's the entire purpose of uh, having a Republican Speaker of the House, don't you know? Madam Secretary, thank you so much for, for giving us uh, the time today. We really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks for the invitation. Um, we wanted to start, for, for obvious reasons, on the situation uh, in, in the Middle East. Um, and I just wondered, first of all, um, what your immediate reflection was when the news reached you of what was going on nine days ago? Well, of course, I was horrified uh, by the atrocities that were committed against Israel. Um, the, the brutality is uh, utterly horrific, and our hearts go out to the Israeli people uh, who have been so badly affected by this. Um, when we look at everything that's been said in the last few days by um, you and, and your colleagues in the U.S. government. Is it fair to say that America's support for Israel is unconditional? Or, or are there some conditions based on what might unfold in, in the days ahead? I think America stands behind Israel, period. <laughs> um, unconditional, you say? We stand with Israel. Um, America has also made clear to Israel we're working very closely with the Israelis, that they have a right to defend themselves, but it's important to try to spare uh, innocent civilian lives to the maximum extent possible. And is that why Secretary Blinken is returning to Israel today? Um, I know that Secretary Blinken is working with and talking to all of the countries in the region, including Israel. Um, in terms of uh, your brief and how this relates um, to the, un- the less important topic of, of, of the economy, um, oil prices <laughs> up a lot already. Yeah, We're back to, to that above less $90 important topic of the on, economy. On, you know, on Brent. we all Has know. You know what we all understand, Miss Yellen. We all understand that what matters most is financing Israel's war. But you know, money does intersect with this, so maybe we'll mention it in passing. A global given you given given you that you're the treasury secretary recession risen because of the events of the last nine days well at this point <coughs> there has been some increase in oil prices but it's relatively modest and oil prices are still well off their highs um, you know we're looking at the economic potential economic implications um, of the hostilities here although our main thoughts are with the Israeli people for what they've suffered. Um, I think it's too early to speculate on whether or not there will be significant (coughs) consequences. I think, importantly, it depends on um, whether uh, the hostilities extend beyond Israel and Gaza, and that's certainly an outcome we would like to avoid. And and are you and and the Treasury Department preparing for that eventuality and, and what it might do to the, the global economy if, if the conflict does broaden out in that way? Look, I think it's very early days and we're monitoring the situation at this point. Yeah, well, it's early days as far as the uh, United States Treasury is concerned, but not so far as the United States military is concerned. According to, according to American military news, the United States military has chosen about 2,000 troops to potentially deploy to support Israel, U.S. defense officials said, according to the Wall Street Journal. The selected troops are currently stationed in the Middle East and other locations, including Europe, officials said. Let's go, let me do this. Adding that the troops are not expected to serve in combat roles, they never are. You know, they just, we just send our military places, they hang out, you know, they're like, oh, yeah, you know, um, get me some coffee, you know, general. <laughs> it's unclear what would trigger the deployment. I think that's kind of the idea. You know, you, you want you want a maximum, you, you know, you want to maximize the lack of clarity surrounding these things. It's very important. You know, mission, the mission is very, uh, the mission is not well served at all 
if there's any clarity to what's going on. You understand? If you have any clarity to the situation, that is disadvantageous to our politics, you see. And so they have to make sure that things are as chaotic and unpredictable as humanly possible. The deployment preparations come after the U.S. State Department announced Sunday that the number of Americans killed in recent Hamas terrorist attacks against Israel has increased to 30. And it'll keep on increasing until you get those soldiers over there. You understand? They're going to go hunt down every American in Israel and they're going to blow his brains out and they're going to scream Allahu Akbar while they do it just for fun. You understand? Because they need you to fight their war for them and they're not screwing around. According to a statement attributed to a State Department official, the government has been able to confirm the deaths of 30 U.S. citizens in Israel. In addition to the American citizens who have been killed, the State Department official confirmed that multiple U.S. citizens are currently missing in Israel. And uh, they're, they're going to be added to the dead. Every time you say no, they're going to blow one of their brains out. During an interview on CBS's 60 Minutes that aired Sunday, President Joe Biden cautioned Israel against occupying Gaza in the wake of the attacks. I think it'd be a big mistake. I, I'm sorry, I should do my Joe Biden impression. <laughs> Never mind. I think it'd be a big mistake. What happened in Gaza, in my view, is Hamas and the extreme elements of Hamas don't represent all the Palestinian people, Biden said. Yeah, those Palestinian people are fantastic, which is why Joe Biden wants them all to come here. You understand? You can't kill all those Palestinians, Israel. We need to bring them here. We need them to, you know, come over here and and replace these folks that don't vote for me. But going in and taking out the extremists is a necessary requirement. That's right. Just like the FBI does here. You run around and you just go get all your political opponents and you round them up and you get rid of them. Israel, that's what we do in the United States. You could do the same thing in Palestine. 217-688-1433, you like to be on the program. And so the Biden administration is trying to play both sides of this thing. And you can kind of understand why. Because there's left-wing fanatics who don't understand the scam, you see. They don't understand the fraud that they're involved in. Either that or they're covering it up on purpose, right? They're like, hey, you know, we don't like all this white supremacy stuff, you know? We're, we want to turn the world into the West Bank, basically. And so uh, we're going to have to go and say, hey, well, you know, if we're going to be consistent about this, those, you know, the Israelis are a pretty big problem. They look a lot like white supremacy, as a matter of fact. And so... You know, we're going to have to go and uh, protest Israel. And they're like, no, 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 no. You don't understand how this works. We only do that to other people. No. If you do that to us, it's anti-Semitism. You know that? Did you know that? That that's um, when you oppose, they call it Zionism, right? They call it Zionism. And if you oppose it, it's not just anti-Semitism. That's genocide, according to Jonathan Greenblatt. Okay. Now, if you don't know, you know, Zionism, this, people attribute a lot of things to Zionism, but I mean, you know, at, at base, it's, it's ethno-nationalism, right? It's Jewish ethno-nationalism. The, the Jews have an ethno-state, okay? They're an ethnic group, they're a race of people, and they want to have a homeland, okay? And they want that homeland to be, like, surrounded by enemies, and they're like, okay, you guys over there, you fight them for us, okay? It's kind of the idea. And so they have this, this idea that they're entitled to an ethno-state. Okay, you know, you can debate that if you want. Uh, but, you know, there are other people who are like, hey, wait a second, we're all the time complaining about these guys with the ethno-state stuff everywhere else. And so what are you guys doing with the ethno-state stuff? And Jonathan Greenblatt says that that's genocide. Well, if you oppose their ethno-state, then you're committing genocide. Because they're not, you know, the guys at the ADL, they want you to know that they're not, they're not at all prone to overstating things. You know, they're, they're, those guys, you know, they're all about, they're, they're all about saying things very straight and clear and straightforward. This anti-Semitism, I was wrong. Anti-Zionism is genocide. And what I mean is if you so dehumanize Zionists, by the way, every Jewish person is a Zionist. You might not believe in the political project of the state of Israel, but every Saturday morning, like for me yesterday, you open your prayer book and it talks about Zion. It talks about Jerusalem. Jews have been praying to Jerusalem for 2,000 years. 
2,000 years. But here's the point. Zionism is whether you're a religious Jew going to synagogue every day, or you're just a cultural Jew who even thinks of themselves as an atheist. Zionism is embedded in our tradition. It's fundamental to our existence. And so for the anti-Zionist, who says all Zionists are evil, all Zionists are bad, the Zionist project is wrong, that leaves us in a very weird position. Yeah, I'll say. Uh, the ADL, they've been known to find themselves in a weird position or two. You know, they, um, they dig themselves these very, very, very deep holes. And, you know, they're going to have a heck of a time digging out of it, I'm thinking. Uh, caller, you're on Surreal Politics. Now, I'm reading your, um, your, what you said to my automated call screener. And I want to remind you, Surreal Politics, we don't curse you. So go ahead. We can talk about whatever you want. Um, the, the gag order is kind of first and foremost on my mind. I'm wondering when some of the, like, when the Supreme Court's going to step in. I mean, how is this not election interference? Well, uh, here's a, so, so as a matter of fact, I should probably mention, I'm probably going to have Augustus Invictus on the un, uncensored production this Friday. It's not unheard of for courts to issue gag orders, okay? Like, I actually, I had a, I've had gag orders in uh, partial gag orders in, in my criminal case in Charlottesville, I had a, gag, a partial gag order in my criminal case, my federal criminal case in New Hampshire. Um, the the plaintiffs sought a gag order on me in in Sines v. Kessler in the civil lawsuit, and they failed. Um, and so it's not it's not unheard of for them to issue these things. It, it's and what she said is, you're not allowed to target Jack Smith. You're not allowed to target anybody in his office. You're not allowed to target witnesses in the case. So the the thing the the thing witnesses in the case is actually normal, right? Like, so you can't go on social media and be like, you know, when I gain political power, I'm going to bring heck down on these witnesses. You can't do, you, you can't do that in a court. If that was I'm, the, I'm, it, it, I'm sorry to, go ahead. I'm sorry to interrupt you, my brother. I, I do understand that part of court proceedings, but you weren't the leading presidential candidate of a political party during an election cycle. Oh, it's, I'm getting at Yeah, I understand. Uh, let me just get my point across and I'll let you talk, uh, okay? Yeah, sorry so about that. So sometimes ahead. it sometimes the way this works on radio is sometimes I got to I got to explain things for the audience's benefit. I understand you understand, okay? But so it's not unheard of for them to issue an order. What's unusual here is that he's not allowed to talk smack about the prosecutor. That's the weird thing, okay? It was not actually controversial in New York. When the judge said, you're not allowed to target my staff, right? That wasn't that, you know, there was some, you know, Trump probably wasn't happy about it, but he's not going to take that to the Supreme Court, right? The thing that's unusual is he can't target Jack Smith. And Jack Smith is a pit bull for the opposition party is the whole point of the thing. You know, that's what I'm getting at. So, you know, if he if he goes there and he says, I should be able to attack witnesses in my upcoming criminal trial, the Supreme Court's going to tell him to go to hell. But if he goes and he says, Jack Smith is a political operative shielding himself from criticism on the basis that of the of this, you know, sham indictment, you know, it seems to me that the Supreme Court probably is going to overturn that. That's what I think. He should be allowed to attack Jack Smith. He should be allowed to fight back. Look at January 6th. That whole thing I'm talking about the um, January 6th uh, committee and trial, that type of stuff. It was a big sham, and no, if no one was allowed to call it out, if you weren't allowed to call out your prosecutor and stuff like that, that, that would be ridiculous because there would only be one narrative. How is this guy not able to talk about it? And, and targeting, and I'm using air quotes, that's like so broad, you know? Well, yeah. What, mentioning them? Well, that's exactly what they're trying to do. And I mean, you know, it evinces a singular design, of course, right? So... All of the, all of the purpose here is to control the narrative. Okay, the the narrative is the prize at all times in politics. The, the the outcome of the election is just what necessarily follows from the narrative. Okay, and so they want to control yeah. the 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 battlefield of ideas, and they want to mold it and shape it in their you know to their advantage. And they'll do anything to do that, up to and including killing people. And so like. They're they're gonna they're gonna try everything that they can, and you know this judge, to my understanding, is not a Trump judge, and so you know she's she's inclined to give them what they want, and you know she she backed off a little bit. I mean, when Jack Smith comes, he he said like he's not allowed to criticize the government, like he wanted him to not be able to criticize the Biden administration was my understanding of it, according to the piece I read in the Associated Press, it was a lot more sweeping, and so when they come, they say okay. 
you know, he goes and he says, you're not allowed to criticize the government, basically. And then and then the judge goes, well, you're just not allowed to criticize the guy who's prosecuting you as a pit bull for the opposition party. You know, and then it and then it looks like a compromise, but it's not. You know, the the, the guy never thought that he was going to get all right. of that. So he asked for more than he thought he was going to get. And he got, you know, and he got more than he wanted. Probably he got more than he thought he was going to get, probably, you know. And so, you know, but yeah, I don't. Prosecutors always do that, man. They throw a lot at the wall and see what sticks. Well, right. You know, it doesn't cost them anything. You know, you, they're getting paid for this one way or the other. Right. And so, like, you know, th- this is what they're going to do. And so, you know, he, he goes ahead and does that. And, you know, I, I do think if he if he goes, well, I think that Trump should violate the order. I, I literally think that. I think he should just go on there and be like, Jack Smith is a con man. He's a crook. This whole entire thing is a sham. You know, he should just nonstop from, from now until the day they put him in jail. He, he should attack Jack Smith on social media in as in as in as bombastic a way as he can nonviolently do, say. OK, and then they'll they mm-hmm. when they go and they try to they try to enforce that order, they're going to have a problem on their hands. Right. Is the Secret Service going to let them put him in jail? Like, that's not an answered question, by the way. Right. That that question hasn't actually been figured right. out yet. Now, I think they will. Right. You know, I've, I've remarked, Probably I think we see him up. Well, you know, they'll probably yeah, he'll have a wing of the he'll have a wing of the place to, they'll a, put him somewhere. Base. They'll put him somewhere that is like he, you know, he, they'll yeah, they'll put him he's not going to be in population with the rest of the prisoners, like, right? Like a snitch, a mafia snitch goes to jail at a military base like Phil Leonetti and Balacci and stuff. They and Sammy Gravano too. I don't know if you know that. That's no, what they I didn't do know that. for like super PC. Yeah. Yeah, they'll put him in a what's it called a brag, a brag. I think a is the brag. Yeah, a, 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 a military jail. And also, I think if that was the safest place for him, I think he'd be able to get it due to previous commander in chief status. I mean, there's an argument to be made there. Well, yeah, it, it, it's just they would never go to Gen Pop, but that would be the most genius move if he did. And I bet you he wouldn't get touched. I bet you the prisoners would love that. I got you. Yeah, look, we keep on talking over each other, so I'm going to let you go. But I appreciate the call, buddy. 217-688-1433. You like to be on the program. And the more you talk, the less I have to. So please give us a call. I'm not certain that that's his fault. I, I think there might have been an audio delay there causing this problem. In any case, yeah, so like, I don't think that Trump is going to be on cell block four with a bunch of black neighbors. I don't think that that's going to happen. I mean, if they try to put him in custody, you know, they're going to have a problem on their hands, okay? The Secret Service is going to be like, okay, well, we need to take care of this guy's safety first and foremost. And so we get to decide where he goes, fundamentally, you know? And so, like, you know, I don't think that Trump's going to, you know, the, the Secret Service is, you know, not entirely his protector in the sense that, you know, if he tries to flee the country, if he if he tries to run, you know, he's got a bunch of cops around with AR-15s. They'll prevent that from happening. They're kind of his captors in a sense. But they're not going to let, you know, they're not going to let, you know, some D.C. freak judge just go put him in gen pop where he's got to go fight for his chastity every day. That's not going to happen, obviously. And once it does, you know, the second that he's in there, I mean, he's going straight to the Supreme Court. It's not going to take two days for it to get there. The, the second that he's not free to go where he wants to go, the Supreme Court's going to Supreme Court's going to be on that like white on rice, whether they like it or not. And so, you know, I think that he should call their bluff on it. I try to make, you know, put them in the position of trying to enforce that order and see what happens. And I think that if he prevails on that, you're going to see other courts think twice about what they're doing. Right. You know, that's your realpolitik lesson today, okay? Like, Trump is not without power. You understand? If Trump, if they try to do this, a whole lot of things are going to happen that they're not able to predict at this point. I'm not saying I can predict it either. I, you know, I have no idea what's going to happen, but fundamentally, it's not going <laughs> to, this is not something that's just going to, you know, it's not, it's not like me, right? They don't just come break his door down in the middle and I drag him off to jail and forget about him for three years, you know? He's the president. He's the former president of the United States. He's probably going to be the next president of the United States. And so, like, you know, what do they think they're going to do? They're, you know, they're flying by the seat of their pants here. And they, they don't, I don't think that they under, I don't think that they have any clearer idea of what's going to happen next than you or me, you know? They're in uncharted territory and they know it. Now, they don't care, right? Like, they're here to wreck the country. Is the, you know, this is the important thing to remember at all times with these things. They're not, 
you, I think that you, you listen to this show, you know, but like, you know, it's worth remembering that these people are not unaware of the tr- the trouble that they're causing, right? It's not even, you. it's hard to even describe this as self-interested because, it, you know, when I was a libertarian, I used to think that, you know, the government looked out for the government's own interests. Like, that's not what's happening here, right? This is not in the interests of the state, you follow? This is, this is, this is, there are motives at work here not being explained, you see? And so, like, you know, they're, they're working to bring down the government of the United States. I don't even think that that's like, I don't even think that there's a serious dispute about that. And so how, you know, part of the exercise here is to discredit the, the legal system. And they're, and they're doing a fantastic job of that. The idea that, you know, they have to shut Trump up because he's discrediting the system is preposterous. What, what he's actually, what they're doing is discrediting the system. We'll go lock people up and bankrupt them knowing that it's not real. And then when you say that system is no good, then we'll just, you know, we'll just abolish the Constitution because it's a pain in the neck anyway, right? We're trying to silence you and take your guns away. You keep on talking about these dumb amendments like they matter, you know? When are you going to get the picture through your head? Stop it. That's what they're trying to do. 217-688-1433. You like to be on the program, and the more you talk, the less I have to, so please give us a call. Now... This is, uh, so here's a piece in a Wall Street Journal here. How the Israel-Hamas war is tilting the global balance of power in favor of Russia and China. Moscow and Beijing seek to ride the wave of solidarity with the Palestinians while taking advantage of American distraction. Now, you know, if you, uh, if you haven't had the privilege of doing it yet, you should check out on my Odyssey channel and on ChristopherCantwell.net and on RadicalAgenda.net com um is my four hour long interview with a fellow by the name of simon roche uh simon roche of uh sidelanders is a um is a south african organization trying to develop an emergency plan for white south africans in the event of ethnic conflict and civil war and so i did for episode 35 of a radical agenda i sat down with uh, mr roche for an hour and a half two hours and uh that was pretty good and then that was on not last Friday, but the Friday before I did that. And then this, and then the, the interim Sunday, uh, I went back over and I sat down with him for four hours. Now, when we're going, when we're talking on the episode 35, you know, we only got so much time to talk, but the things that we're discussing open up all different cans of worms. We're talking about things that lead to, you know, world affairs, but fundamentally he's there to promote an organization he has a purpose in mind and we're trying to sort of stick to that purpose so i went back there on the following sunday and we we talked for four hours without broadcasting and i just recorded the thing and we went through all of those things and he was you know i think that this is part of this you know this broader thing that's going on was sort of you know that and you know that sunday morning was when the the war broke out in israel right and so that was the first thing that we discussed and you know He's talking about, you know, he couldn't articulate precisely how, but he's like, I feel like this, you know, feeds into the Ukraine thing and all these other things going on in terms of world affairs. And this is, you know, the whole world order is essentially the contest now, right? And so here's a piece in a Wall Street Journal that gives a theory on what this is doing to the world order. This is Yaroslav Trofimov over at um, the Wall Street Journal. The war between Israel and Hamas isn't just risking a regional conflagration, It is also affecting the global balance of power, stretching American and European resources while relieving pressure on Russia and providing new opportunities to China. The long-term effect of Middle East flare-up is hard to predict. It, It depends, first of all, on whether Israel is ultimately successful in its stated goal of eliminating Hamas as Gaza's main military and political force. Another critical issue is whether Israel's diplomatic relationships in the region and the global standing of its Western supporters can survive the rising civilian casualties in Gaza and the looming horrors of urban warfare in the densely populated enclave. But for now, the war launched by Hamas on October 7th with a brutal attack on Israeli towns and villages that killed some 1,400 people. That number just keeps on going up, huh? (laughs) You know? You know, how many, how long are you guys going to be finding bodies? What's going on here? 
You're going to get up to $6 million before this thing's over. Is proving a boon for America's main geopolitical rivals, China, Russia, and Iran have long sought to undermine the U.S.-backed international system and are now taking advantage of America's distraction. What we are seeing is part of a shifting and moving world order, said former Finnish Prime Minister Alexander Stubb, who is, now, who is currently running for Finland's presidency. When the U.S. leaves power vacuums, someone is going to fill those vacuums. To be sure, the U.S. is already back in the Middle East, showcasing its role as an indispensable partner for Israel in key Arab nations with shuttle diplomacy and military deployments, an engagement that enjoys bipartisan support and dissipates some of the isolationist sentiment that has been gaining ground in recent years. But as Washington's attention focuses on the Middle East, Russia is probably the clearest beneficiary of the spreading upheaval. Pointing at the mounting Palestinian deaths, around 2,750 by the latest count, Moscow revels in what it calls the hypocrisy of the Western governments, which have roundly condemned Russia's massacres of civilians in Ukraine, but offer only mild, if any, criticism for Israeli actions in Gaza. Russian President Vladimir Putin, whose forces, according to Ukrainian authorities, killed tens of thousands of civilians as they besieged the Ukrainian city of Mariupol for months last year, compared the Israeli siege of Gaza to that of his hometown of St. Petersburg and Leningrad during World War II. This, in essence, equated Israelis with Nazis. Such language, a stark departure from Putin's once warm relationship with Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, is part of Russia's diplomatic effort to position the country as the leader of the global movement against the West neocolonialism, even as it pursues a colonial war of conquest in Ukraine. Now, I'm just reading from the Wall Street Journal, and I don't actually agree with that sentiment. What a loser that you call this colonial conquest, you stupid idiot. Any conflict that draws some attention away from Ukraine very much plays in favor of Russia, said Lithuania's foreign minister Gabrielis Landsbergis. The Russians may not have started it, but they have a huge interest in prolonging the conflict of Israel as long as possible. It would be a win for the Russians tactically in Ukraine and strategically strengthening their narrative against the Western world. China, too, has embraced the Palestinian cause in a way it hadn't done in decades. Its once cordial ties with Israel are in tatters. Beijing repeated invocations of the need to combat terrorism as it repressed Uyghurs in the Xinjiang region. China has repeated, has pointedly refrained from using the word terrorism and as it described the Hamas attack, much to Israel's dismay, even though there were four Chinese citizens killed by Hamas and three more taken hostage, according to Israeli authorities. The crux of the matter is that justice has not been done to the Palestinian people, Chinese Foreign Minister Wang Yi uh, said Thursday in his first public remarks since the Hamas invasion triggered the war. As Beijing prepares for a possible class, clash with the U.S. over the future of Taiwan, China benefits from Washington's attention once again being diverted by trouble in the Middle East, China watchers say. Which matters to China are the interests of China, and the most important thing for Beijing is the relationship with the United States and the way the, in which, the, which China could weaken the United States and the image of the United States. Sorry, that, that was a poorly worded sentence. That's not my fault. Said Antoine Bondaz, a China expert at the Foundation for Strategic Research in Paris. They will try to portray the U.S. as the factor of instability and China as the factor of peace. China's goal is to present itself to the developing nations as an alternative, as a more attractive alternative. The war launched by Hamas also deals a blow to China's main Asian rival, India, which has grown much closer to Israel in recent years. But just by the way, can I just insert this real quick? You know, the Wall Street Journal is, you know, a better paper by comparison to say, you know, USA Today or the New York Times, which are increasingly on par with each other. And if you know anything about newspapers, you understand the joke there. <laughs> the Washington Post and the New York Times used to be, you know, respectable newspapers that, you know, you know, people who had graduated high school would read. USA Today is written for, you know, Democrat kindergartners, basically, and they're they're increasingly, you know, the same thing. The war launched by Hamas. You see, the Wall Street Journal is like, 
they 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 have to insert their narrative they, as they explain this situation to you they're they're inserting the narrative right this was on this day the on, on when they when the Hamas started it on this day with no prior provocation whatsoever when everything was going fine and these people started murdering people for no reason, then the conflict began is the assumption built into my explanation of the thing, which I gloss over very quickly and don't really bother to explain in great detail. <laughs> Just in September, India and the U.S. announced plans for a transit corridor connecting India, the Middle East, and Europe that would run through the United Arab Emirates, Saudi Arabia, Jordan, and Israel and become a rival to China's Belt and Road Project. But the talks on the normalization of relations between Israel and Saudi Arabia, a key element of the plan, have been scuttled by the Gaza war and their future is now uncertain. India has invested a lot in the Middle East generally, and especially with Israel and key Arab countries such as the UAE and Saudi Arabia, said Ashok Malik, chair of the India practice at the Asia Group and a former policy advisor to the Indian Foreign Ministry. The normalization of relations between progressive Arab countries that are seeking to use economic and technological opportunities to modernize in Israel as a broader, uh, as part of a broader normalization of the Middle East is certainly something that India encourages for business opportunities, but also as a broader political construct. For many nations in Europe, in addition to, the stra to straining relational regional relationships and diverting attention from Ukraine, an escalation of the war could also cause an energy crisis, potentially crippling the Middle East alternatives to Russian oil and gas. Bloodshed in the Middle East always also carries the risk of renewed violence by Islamist militant groups at home, as happened during the campaign against the Islamic State in 2014 and 2017. You know, at which point it stopped because Trump went in there and killed everybody. Huge pro-Palestinian rallies have already flooded the streets of major European capitals over the weekend, with some protesters chanting in support of Hamas's objective, the elimination of Israel. Whenever something this intense happens in the Gaza Strip or Israel, it has consequences in Europe, said Thomas Gomart, the director of the French Institute of International Relations. What we are seeing now is the overlapping and entanglement of different theaters. What will be the main theater for Europe in the coming years? Will it be the Middle East? Will it be Ukraine? Caucuses? Issues with Iran? The acceleration of crises is spectacular. And for Europe, it means having to make very brutal adjustments. Russia certainly counts on the West's attention, fading away from Ukraine, where Russian forces launched a so far unsuccessful attempt to seize the city of Avdivka shortly after the Hamas attack. Should the war in the Middle East expand to involve Lebanon and possibly Iran and the U.S. directly, the already shrinking resources of military aid slated for Ukraine could become even scarcer, a danger acknowledged by Kiev. If the conflict will be a limited time matter of weeks, then in principle we have nothing to worry about. The head of Ukraine's HUR military intelligence, Lieutenant General Kir Kirilo Budinov told the uh, Ukrainska Pravka, Pravda newspaper. But if the situation drags on, it's fully understandable that there will be problems with the fact that not only Ukraine will need to be supplied with weapons and ammunition. So far, little of the military aid rushed by the U.S. to Israel is of the kind that is needed for Ukraine. Israel's most urgent request was for interceptors for its Iron Dome anti-missile system that Ukraine doesn't operate. While Ukraine's key necessity is for 155-millimeter artillery ammunition, overall, Israel heavily relies on its huge air force, while air power plays a limited role in the war in Ukraine. During the 50-day Israeli incursion into Gaza in 2014, the Israeli army fired only 19,000 explosive 155-millimeter shells, an amount that Ukraine consumes in as little as one week. The Israel Defense Force is very much a Western-style military with an air force, uh, air-based firepower which can be handled more easily, said Franz Stefan Gotti, CEO of Gotti Consult, or Gatti, I don't know, and a military consulting firm based in Vienna. Meanwhile, the Ukrainian military remains a Soviet-era legacy force with the majority of firepower that is ground-based, which is a lot harder for the U.S. to sustain. 
The biggest risk to Ukraine in recent weeks has been the reluctance of some Republicans in the House to authorize additional U.S. aid. The crisis in the Middle East could actually remove that roadblock as the Biden administration seeks to bundle military aid to Israel with aid to Ukraine. That's hilarious. Genius, by the way. Hey, uh, Republicans, uh, you wouldn't want to uh, you wouldn't want to be called anti-Semites, right? Uh, you're going to fund on, uh, that Israeli war over there because, you know, you know that you have no capacity to say no to these people. You know that, right? So we're going to go ahead and put this thing on the, uh, we'll just be like, okay, we're going to go fund these two wars real quick. And if you say no, you know, you're going to be in a lot of trouble with those guys over there. That's pretty funny. Don't worry, you know, Republicans are in control of the House of Representatives, you see. <laughs> Overall, he added, the U.S. should be able to support Ukraine and Israel while also retaining its commitments to Taiwan. We can walk and chew gum at the same time. They always keep saying this. Can we walk and chew, and go, chew gum at the same time? Yeah, I can drive a car and listen to music, too. But can I fight wars in different parts of the planet? Well, I'd say that's a different category of issue, you idiot. What are you talking about? You walk and chew gum at the same time. Yeah, I can walk and chew gum at the same time. Can I hyperinflate my currency and 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 displace the dollar as the world reserve currency? I can do that too. You know, can you add and subtract retard? Do you understand what happens when you spend money that you don't have in perpetuity and you give it away to people who don't have your best interests at heart? That's a different category of problem than walking and chewing gum at the same time. If anything, the crisis in the Middle East is also a reminder of how important America remains for the region and the world. China hailed its entry into regional politics in March as it brokered an agreement on restoring diplomatic relationships between, uh, relations between Saudi Arabia and Iran. But now, as risks of a regional war increase, China is keeping a low profile while the U.S. has rushed two aircraft carrier groups and Secretary of State Antony Blinken is flying around the region aiming to contain the conflict. China's primary leverage in the region was access to its markets, access to its investments. It is its economic power, said Gordon Flake, CEO of US Asia Center at the That's pretty funny. USASIA. <laughs> oh. Globalists. Gotta love them. You know, they're like, hey, you know, United States of America, United States of Asia, whatever, you know, they just, you know, put them together, whatever. <laughs> China's probably, yeah, we just said that. They don't yet have hard power in that region, so no one is turning to the Chinese for how to solve their problems. And you can write to this guy at uh, Yaroslav, Y-A-R-O-S-L-A-V dot T-R-O-F-I-M-O-V at WSJ.com, and you could be like, hey, uh, why didn't you mention that uh, the war didn't start last week, idiot? You could say that to him if you wanted to. You should be very polite when you do. You wouldn't want to, uh, you know, guys go to prison for threatening journalists. Don't do that, okay? Give me one second here. So, as I was saying, 217-688-1433, you like to be on the program. And, uh, you know, uh, Trump is suing... uh, (laughs) Trump suing Christopher Steele over that dossier nonsense. Pardon me for... I told you before I was sick. I'm sorry about this. I, I, you know, trying to power through it. And I'm like, I'm actually feeling pretty good, but I'm not done with all the congestion and stuff. 217-688-1433, Two one seven six eight eight one four three three. You'd like to be on the program. So uh, Trump sues uh, ex-British spy over dossier containing shocking and sta- scandalous claims. And so uh, apparently he's suing him in London. I don't know. I, you know, I don't know what Trump thinks he's going to do. You know, how many legal fronts do you want to be fighting on? I think is a is a reasonable question to ask. I'm not going to read this one. What else? There's other things going on. We'll, we'll clo- well, I have to bookmark these things before I close out. 
217-688-1433. If you would like to be on the program, reopen the close tab and then add everything to my favorites and put it on a dated folder for 20231016. That's what I got to do. Okay. Now, now I can close the tabs. So we did that one. We did that one. Oh, this is what we got to do. I'm not going to go to Christmas Steel yet. We got to go. So I, the Middle East thing is kind of, it's not a small matter, you know. Um, ben Shapiro basically is like, we're going to, you know, the, the Israel's going to have to use nukes if you don't do what I say. So unless you want nuclear war, give them, uh, give them all your money, America, right? Because because Ben Shapiro, he's America first, you understand, you know, he's all about America, you understand. And so he's like, yeah, of course, America has to fund all of these foreign wars because I'm not not because I'm a globalist. It's not, you know, it doesn't run through my veins or anything like that. I'm just saying that you have to do this. Otherwise, Israel will use nuclear weapons, which almost sounds like a threat, you know. That almost sounds like Israel's threatening nuclear war through Ben Shapiro. Uh, but you, you, what, you, what you come to understand if you listen to Ben Shapiro long enough is that's completely impossible because they're our friends. They're our greatest allies, some people like to say. But, you know, it's not just that we need to, like, give them more billet bullets to shoot cavemen in Palestine. Like, there's actually, you know, substantial for potential for this thing to go completely sideways. So... Iran, they warned Israel. They said that, uh, so Iran sent a message to Israel on Saturday stressing that it does not want further escalations in the Hamas-Israel war, but that it will have to intervene if the Israeli operation in Gaza continues. Two diplomatic sources with knowledge of the situation told Axios, the fighting between Hamas and Israel will turn into a regional war if Iran gets involved, either directly or indirectly, such as through a militant group in Syria or by backing any Hezbollah decision to fully join the fighting. Iran's message sent to Israel through the UN comes as the Biden administration has been trying to deter Iran and Lebanon-backed Hezbollah, from, uh, supported by Iran, from joining the war. This week, the U.S. sent an US, the U.S. sent an aircraft carrier group and fighter jets to the region. And we just mentioned before that they also told 2,000 soldiers be ready to deploy. Iranian Foreign Minister Hussein Amir Abdullahian met with the U.N. envoy to the Middle East tour Wensland on Saturday in Beirut, two diplomatic sources said. Wensland urged Amir Abdullah, you know, he urged Allahu Akbar, whatever your name is, shut up. You know, will you make me read this nonsense? The guy with that, you know, whatever. To help prevent a spillover of the conflict in Gaza into Israel in the wider region of the Middle East, the Iranian foreign minister replied that Iran does not want the conflict to turn into a regional war and wants to try to help with the release of civilians who are being held hostage by Hamas in Gaza. But, but Allahu Akbar, it's not his real name, I'm just going to say it because I'm sick of stumbling over the stupid God, the thing, you know. Yeah, there is. Stressed that Iran has its red lines. He said if the Israeli military operation continues, and especially if Israel follows through on its promise of a ground offensive in Gaza, Iran will have to respond according to the sources. And so America says, hey, Iran, if you get involved, we're going to be at war. Okay? And Iran is like, hey, Israel, if you go do this thing, we're going to be at war. And then Israel's like, well, I'm going to go do the thing, as a matter of fact. <laughs> and so, you know, you know, that might shake things up a little bit. I guess is the moral of the story. 217-688-1433. You like to be on the program. And the more you talk, the less I have to. So please give us a call. Now, is the uh, are the weapons that Hamas got coming from Ukraine and Afghanistan? Well, that seems to be a question that Republicans are investigating. Uh House Republicans are reportedly determined to launch a congressional probe into whether the U.S. weapons sent to Ukraine and left behind in Afghanistan found their way into Hamas hands, according to U.S. independent media. Well, what independent media are you talking about? That would be nice to cite that, wouldn't it? That would be a fine thing for you to tell me. 
Somebody called into, I think they probably called into the other show. Maybe it was this one. I forget. But somebody asked me, you know, why are Republicans, if you understand anything about voting, voting patterns in the United States, like it, it's bizarre to, you know, for people who don't understand it, it's, it, it seems bizarre. The Jews vote Democrat. I mean, like they fund half the Democrat. It's completely insane. All right. And then, and then the Democrats, you know, you see, when you see these like pro-Palestine things going on, they're, you know, they're, they're always left wing, even if the people that are involved in them, you know, think that they're right wingers, they're left wing things. Okay. When you see people worshiping the noble savage, that's left wing nonsense. And it sometimes in, in, it sometimes infects right wing movements. It happens from time to time. And so, uh, you know, it becomes a curious thing that, like, the Republican Party is groveling to Israel all of the time. It's really slavish and disgusting and, and borderline pornographic. It's really, really gross, right? And you wonder why that is sometimes, and then, you know, and then you find out. And so I was looking at this thing over at Mediaite, MSNBC down, CNN, and Fox News. Their ratings are up, and Fox News is like, blown it out of the water okay so fox news basically threw in the towel it's like i don't want people to watch anymore like you guys watching us all the time it's like annoying like stop watching fox news so they fired everybody they stopped making good television they just they just made it like the ukraine channel basically you know it's just like we'll just have brian kill me all day every day and you know forget about producing anything that anybody actually want to watch right and so Fox News's ratings have been going down, you know. They basically they basically been doing something uh Yeah, they've been doing all of those, you know, downward things essentially, you know. And so, um as they You've tested positive for the HIV virus. That's exactly what happened. So basically, they got they got AIDS. They got ratings AIDS. Fox News. They're trying to compete with CNN for ratings decline. I think is kind of the idea. And so, as they're trying to destroy the network, then the Israel thing happens. And then they're like, "Oh man, like you know, now that this happened, we're gonna have to, you know, the, like we've got people to answer to, obviously." And so. They try really hard, and because of that, according to Nielsen Media Research, MSNBC saw a 33% drop-off in primetime and a 24% drop-off in overall viewership. These ratings reflect the dates from October 7th to October 10th that are in comparison to the previous week's ratings. In stark contrast are Fox News, which saw a total jump in viewers of 42%, and CNN, which saw a gain of 17%. Now, of course, you know, CNN, it's like, if you're flipping through the channels and and like you and you hit the button too, you ever do that? Like you hit the button too fast, and because you hit the button twice, you know some TVs are like this. Maybe maybe yours is better, but like you know, if you're flipping through the channels, sometimes you got to pause between the buttons, right? If you hit it too fast, and sometimes you hit it twice, and then like a double press doesn't count. And so if you do that on CNN, like their ratings jump like 30%. So, you know, the CNN thing is negligible. But on Fox News, for Fox News to have their ratings jump by 42%? Wow. That's something. And so now you know why they kiss their butts because, you know, because it, it works, you know. MSNBC does not typically perform as well as CNN and Fox when it comes to major foreign stories because they're just whining about racism in America 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. The network also faced some criticism as the New York Post posits over its coverage of the conflict. News Nation host and Mediaite owner Dan Abrams slammed the network for its coverage, accusing host Ayman Mohildin, whatever that is. His name is Allahu Akbar. And then there's another guy whose name is Allahu Akbar, too. And another guy whose name is Allahu Akbar, and I'm just making that up, of turning the blame on the political decisions of Israel and the United States and shifting the focus to the Palestinians away from Israelis victimized by Hamas. Meanwhile, News Nation saw its ratings increase by 48%, which is the same phenomenon I talk, you know, nobody watches News Nation. So if you... If you fail to flip through the channels fast enough, you can do that by yourself. On Monday, Jonathan Greenblatt, because Jonathan Greenblatt's a very credible guy, you might have heard. You know, he's going to get banned from Twitter eventually, but, you know, he still manages. Whenever he talks, people, they cower in fear of him because, 
because they have no control over anything at all. To say otherwise is anti-Semitism. He appeared on MSNBC's Morning Joe and blambasted the network on camera, unloading on anchor Jonathan Lemire over the coverage and asking, who's writing the scripts, Hamas? <laughs> well, it's not the Nazis, that's for sure, John. 217-688-1433. If you'd like to be on the program, and the more you talk, the less I have to. So please do give us a call. Or don't. You know, I mean, I guess, you know, as a matter of fact, I just wrap it up. It's 1040. You guys aren't chatty. And I'm just reading news anyway. So I'll just call it a night. And uh, before I do, I'll point out a couple things. So if you're a Surreal Politics member, um, you have new benefits now. You can sign into fullhousemembers.com. But it's full H-A-U-S, not to be concerned with Full House, like the show with Kimmy Gibbler and stuff. The Full House, like the podcast with the right-wing guys. And they're very entertaining, very stand-up folks. I really like those guys over at Full House. And so if you go to fullhousemembers.com, you'll go to their member site, and then you'll see that there's not a whole lot there. But then if you click the login button and you log in, and once you're logged in, then you'll see their paywall content. You can watch The Sex Show. Because I brought them in. I brought, I brought those guys in on the project because they are family-friendly. And so the first thing that they did was release a show about sex because they have a sense of humor, I gather. And so, but I've been told it's actually very good. I haven't listened to it yet, but I'm looking forward to doing so. Um, I've, I've, you've heard me talk about them before. They do great content. I've been on their show a few times, and you'll hear me on there again in the near future. And uh, I think that that's worth doing. And so if you're a member already, you can go over there and you can listen to that right now. And if you're not, then you can go to surrealpolitics.com slash join, and you can become a member for $6.70 if you use code AGENDA33, that'll get you 33% off for your first three months. And that'll be a great idea. Might as well do it, you know. Because you were like, uh, you know, we like you, okay? So use that code, and then you can get the, uh, then you can get the, uh, they get the discount. And then once you get the discount, then you go over to surrealpolitics.com slash shop, and you can buy merch. You can buy, like, Radical Agenda hoodies and T-shirts and hats and all this stuff. It's a great idea. Um... You know, and that'd be great. We're, this is like the next big stage of the project. You got to understand something. We're, uh, we got big plans over here, Surreal Politics, you know, and I told you this for a long time. Maybe not all of you believe me. But my aspirations are not to like talk smack for six hours a week. <laughs> I have higher ambitions, you know. And so, you know, but, you know, revenue is obviously a, a prerequisite of accomplishing anything. And so you got to, like, make money and then use the money to make more money is kind of the idea. So, like, I bought the software to do the network thing, and I keep on buying the equipment. You're like, you guys buy stuff sometimes from my Amazon wish list, which is linked at the, uh, you know, at uh, ChristopherCantwell.net slash donate. You get everything. Um, if you go over there, that would be a good idea. And then you can find my crypto keys and whatnot. But, um point more being that we're building this thing out into something completely different okay like it's going to be a, for me to say what I have in mind for it would kind of be antagonistic to certain people and I don't mean to do that but fundamentally what I want to do is you know create a content network okay and this is the first people that I'm bringing in on the content network and I couldn't have chosen better people to do it you know, when I start figuring out who I'm going to bring in, it's like it's got to be somebody that I can trust. They're they've got to be quality content. You know, it's got to be you know I'm I can't be uh, 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 digging in the you know gutters of uh, you know some no name website and finding somebody that nobody cares about. It's got to be a quality show with an existing audience and you know and and trustworthy decent people. And so it wasn't hard for me to figure out that it was going to be the full full house guys. I, I it was like. I didn't even I didn't even deliberate this. So like we're working things out and there are challenges associated with that. But once I get it straightened out with them, then I can bring other people in and I've got other people in uh mind to do that. You know, I I mentioned the Simon Roche interview before. You know, we haven't done that many interviews on surreal politics because I try to keep the show like, you know, I I try to keep the show free of certain themes and free of profanity and people generally like to be able to say whatever they want in the interviews and I don't want to make people put you know filters through their heads and so they tend to we've been doing more interviews on the uncensored production but 
the interviews are good for both brands at the end of the day because, you know, it gets people talking about your humble correspondent, right? And, uh, you know, I go so far as to say, you know, I'm pretty good at this stuff as a general matter, but people are talking about my skills as an interviewer, which I, you know, I don't think I'm immodest for saying or substantial. And so I've got other interviews lined up. They're going to be the subject of more conversations with other people. That's going to bring attention to the brands. We start doing that. We start bringing in other content producers. You know, there's momentum is building is what I'm trying to tell you. I'm recruiting technical talent. That's a huge thing. You know, I've talked some about like these technical projects that I've been working on. And like I had to put a lot of them on the back burner because I kind of my. The, what's the what's the technical term for my eyes were bigger than my stomach, right? Like I bit off more than I could choose, say. But fundamentally, you know, as a result of being deplatformed so many times over the years, you know, I determined that I was going to have to control my own stuff, you know, and I've done and I've done that in large part for a long time. You know, I've run my own mail servers, my own web servers, like my, you know, we're streaming. Most of you are probably most of you are watching the video or watching this on other stuff. But like I have my own video streaming, you know. I have my own radio servers. The radio players are on the website. You guys have seen that. And I want to do, I you know, Gab and Truth Social and Getter and these things, they're all something called Mastodon. They're all based on Mastodon in any case. Free Talk Live had their own Mastodon incidents. This is what's known as Fediverse, like Federated Social Networking. And so you create your own social network and then you can you can join federations of social networks or people can cross communicate between different platforms or whatever. And I think that that has a lot of potential. And there's a lot of these different things, not just Mastodon. There's a thing called Friendica. There's another one called PixelFed. There's another one called um, Castopod, which is like a podcasting social. Ne- I don't really understand. Um, Lemmy is kind of like a Reddit type idea. I'm looking to get into all of these things, okay? And like, you know, they're only of so much utility until you can actually drive people to use them, obviously. But that's the fundamentally the goal, right? And so, you know, there's promotional efforts underway as well. I got a buddy who's like starting to edit the videos and make shorter clips so that we can have, you know, short video clips to to promote and put places on, on other videos, uh, websites and say like, Hey, come, you know, consume the content dummy. I got like, uh, I've had it for a long time. As a matter of fact, my CD duplicator, and I just ordered some CD labels. Um, and, uh, I want to start distributing CDs. I got these NFC stickers. You ever seen these things? Like, you know, like you could tap with the phone and you just put a URL in there. Right. So I want to put like, I'm, I'm working on, putting together like best of collections and then I'll put, you know, QR codes and the NFC stickers in in places conspicuously as a promotional mechanism to try to get, you know, new people into the, into the productions. Okay. And I was really like, you know, for me, a lot of the stuff I produce, like I, you know, some of the stuff I produce, I know is good. And, but most of the time, like I, I have, you know, doubts about myself the only thing i the only way i know i'm doing good is if you pay me you know this is the only reason i know this is worth a damn right but when i did the uh i think it was episode what was it i think it was episode 27 i want to say of some consequence where i talked about the kid and the masking and the what this did to the the kid's speech like everybody who listens to that whether they like me or not is like wow you know and so I'm like, okay, that's, you know, I can introduce people to the content with that one. And I was like, all right, we got to start. We're going to use that. That's, that's our jump off, you know. And so I'm going to do all these things. This momentum building is what I mean to convey. And we're overcoming technical challenges and moving ever forward. And if you would like to uh, join that mission, there's lots of ways for you to do it. ChristopherCantwell.net slash how can I help? If you want to volunteer time and talent, I'll take your, I'll take your help. And I'll thank you for it gratuitously. Um, if you want to pay me, that would be a great idea. Uh, ChristopherCantwell.net slash donate. GiveSendGo.com slash SPM. Um, uh, uh, you know, you got the, ent- the entropy, the, uh, the uh, odyssey, all that stuff. 
<clears throat> I got Cash App, Edgy Chris. But ultimately, you know, first things first, just become a member. And then you get benefits for that. Like you'll be a member at SurrealPolitics.com. You get discounts on the shop. You get access to FullHouseMembers.com. You know, and you're you're on board for the ride. You know, we do the Wednesday member shows. It's a great idea. We hang out. You could, you know, give me input and stuff. Not that I'm a difficult guy to get a hold of, you know. So things are coming along, folks, and uh, I appreciate you making it possible. And so we'll keep on doing it. I'll be back Wednesday for the member show, as I said. I'll be back again Friday for the Uncensored production with Augustus Invictus. We were talking about gag orders at the beginning of this thing. He just got a gag order lifted, okay? He was got a gag order in Charlottesville. So we're going to talk to him about that on Friday. And, uh, of course, I'll be back here doing this again a week from today, Monday, 9.30, every Monday, 9.30 p.m. U.S. Eastern Time, Odyssey, Rumble, SurrealPolitics.com, Goyam TV. We're all over the place, you know? So thanks for tuning in. See you then.